This morning we'll be in Esther uh, 5 and 6, I think. We'll get to see how far we get. That's the plan anyway. Esther 5 and 6. On your way out the door, um, some of you may remember, some of you may not remember a Mike uh, and Diana Howard. Um, they used to come to our fellowship years ago and then have uh, since moved up to Clorinda. They're still in Coin, but they go to the Clorinda Calvary Chapel up there and um, closer and all. And, and uh, he's had a heart attack about, he's up two weeks now, he had a heart attack. Pretty rough one, really rough one. Not that, not that there's any, that's, yeah. Uh, heart attacks are bad all the way around, but this was this was one where he's still you know trying to walk and stuff and and hasn't been released and and all. Anyway, that being said, there's some cards out there from us that we'd like to send up to him this week. Um, if you want to sign it, if you remember, if you don't remember him, hey, he could use some encouragement and some prayer. Um, just write something, a scripture, something on those cards. Um, we've also uh, are going to help financially as a fellowship, but if you wanted to do something above and beyond. Um, you're welcome to do that too, but the church is doing it also. So you, we're not asking, we're just letting you know it's available. And you could just, uh, if you want to write a check or something, you can put that in the memo. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Just a note or something out there uh, on the card, and we'll get those to him and be praying for him. It's hard uh, for everybody, the, uh, especially for Diana. Um, not, I mean, he especially, but for her, as she's without her, you know, her, her main man, you know, it's hard. Um, so, um, We'll be praying for them. Uh, in Esther chapter 5, as we get into this, um, the irony, the, the beautiful twist of this story, um, God's complete handling of the situation is just a wonderful example for us and encouragement in his sovereignty in our lives. In our ability, in our, our, our not ability, our uh, it's safe to put my life in his hands. It's the safest place I can put my life is in his hands and to trust him with it, regardless of the circumstances. And as we've seen Esther, just be obedient and walk through these steps, although very unusual, very strange culturally and in any other way, and just worldly all the way around. Um, God has been faithful to protect her, to exalt her, to put her in the position she needs to be to be this, person for such a time as this to redeem the nation of Israel, to protect them. There's an attack. There's a plan on the way here. The killing of the entire nation of, or the entire nationality, they're, they're all separated. They're all over the, the place right now. But uh, the king has issued a decree to kill all the Jews now because he's been told um, by this Haman character that they don't follow the same set of laws or same set of rules. They're always in disobedience. They're always going their own route, and they, they're going to be a problem if uh, they're not handled. And so the king says, well, yeah, I don't want that. He doesn't know that Queen Esther is Jewish at this point. She's kept her identity a secret because her cousin Mordecai has told her not to let anybody know. So that's where we pick up our story. Um, and we really don't have a lot of cross-references until chapter, uh, four, or chapter 5, verse 14. Um, so we'll go through this pretty quickly here. Now, it happened on the third day. Esther's been praying, or it doesn't say she's been praying, but she's been fasting, but probably praying. Mordecai's been praying outside also and fasting. It happened on three days later after this prayer time that Esther put on her royal robes, 
and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in his royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. From last week, we remember that this was a, a certain death sentence for anybody to come into the presence of this king without being requested by him personally. And so for her to do this, it did take prayer. It did take courage. It did take a, a trust in the Lord for her to stand out there to be uh, open to um, what he's done in the past. He's not exactly a stable person, this king. Um, he flies off the handle. He uh, removed the first queen based off of the fact that she wouldn't show up and present herself to his drunk buddies. And so for her to do this was a, a great act of faith in God, but also courage um, to do this, to, to, to forsake her life. But when he hands out the golden scepter, we know that that is his approval and his permission. Um, and so she touches it, and now we see that he is very affectionate to her, to her. Now, we don't know why. She had said to her cousin, I can't go in to see the king. I haven't seen him in 30 days. So we don't know what's happened. I don't know the rules or how this functions You know, back in the day here, whether he was just rotating through women and her rotation hadn't come up yet. I mean, it's pretty bizarre how they ran things. This I do know. She hasn't been there for 30 days, but when he sees her, there's great affection for her. Um, when a king like this says something like he just said, I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom, that's kind of like saying anything you want. It's a blank check. And he has to follow up on that. When the king says something like that, it's just not like, oh, sweetie, oh, you're just so beautiful today. I, I, whatever you want. And, and then you say, well, I, I want a jet. <laughs> you know, uh, He had to buy her a jet. He would have to do that. The law would say so. He said he's going to do it. He's got to do it. So when he says this, first of all, it shows a lot of trust that he has in Esther. She must have the kind of character that shines through to where I can say that to her, and I know that she won't say, great, half the kingdom. You know, that's the last thing he wants to hear. There's a trust there that he has for her, and that's going to come up later on. That's why I bring that up. There's trust in this woman. And he also knows that I'm not going to treat her like I treated my last wife, the other queen. I'm not going to treat her with contempt. I'm not going to treat her with disrespect. I'll give you whatever you want up to half the kingdom. It's a very humbling thing. It's a very uh, loving thing for him to say to her. Another thing I find interesting and, and, and isn't exactly pointed out, maybe, but I will point it out, I, I notice it, is that the first queen wouldn't present herself when requested. Queen Esther presents herself when not requested. It shows something about her also. I'm not afraid to come into his presence. I don't know what condition he's in today. I don't know how inebriated he is. I don't know anything about it. I know that I need to come in and talk to him, though, and I will come and talk to him. And so she presents herself without even being requested. And his response is very affectionate. So we know that he loves her. We know that. So Esther answered in verse 4, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. 
Then the king uh, said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has, has said. So king, king and, uh, sorry, so the king and Haman went to the banquet uh, that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, so, you know, it's the banquet of wine. It's like a wine tasting kind of thing. So it's not exactly, um, you know, pigs with apples in their mouths and that kind of thing. But it is a, it is a party. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request up to half the kingdom? It shall be done. So he is doubling down. That's important. I mean what I mean when I say this to you. It wasn't that I was, oh, she's so beautiful. What can I get you, baby? You know, kind of thing. It was he really meant it, you know. So he doubles down on this. So Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Is she chicken out? I don't know. It doesn't really matter what caused her to say this. What I want us to see as, as believers, this is how we translate this into our lives, is it regardless of why she didn't say what she needed to say at this time, which was that guy Haman, he's trying to kill the entire nation of Israel. You know, it's what she needs to do, just point the finger. She at this time couldn't do it, didn't feel the timing was right, and the timing isn't right. We'll know this as we go through the rest of this chapter. The timing is not now for her to say it. If she had said this now, what's about to happen wouldn't happen. Something else has to take place in Haman's life for the full justice of God to unfold. And so whenever I find myself thinking, oh, I blew that opportunity. I should have, oh, I should have done that. I should have done this. I should have, what's, why didn't, I don't have enough courage. Why didn't I have enough boldness? I knew I was supposed, you know, whatever it is that we go through, first of all, give yourself some grace. God gives you an abundance of grace. Give yourself some mercy as God gives us mercy. I think we, neglect to do that for ourselves sometimes because we so want to appreciate our God. We so want to show him how much we are obedient and are ready and really willing and are going to do exactly what, and then we don't do it. Look for that second opportunity or make that second opportunity, which is what she does here. She can't quite get it out. The timing's not right. Haman's not looking right. The king's not looking at her right. This it just doesn't feel like the right moment. And I get that from as a pastor a lot from a lot of people. I, I want to share the gospel with a relative. I want to share the gospel with my friend or a coworker. And I just don't know how to do it. How do I do it? <laughs> well, you just tell them. You tell them about the love of Jesus. You tell them about what God's done for you. Yeah. And I know what I know what they're saying. How do you how do you start that conversation with somebody cold like that? How do you walk up to somebody and say, hi, uh, Frida, I know we've worked together for 20 years and I've never talked to you about Jesus, but today's the day, you know? You need Jesus or you're going to hell. That doesn't come across great a lot of times, you know? There's got to be a right way to do this, and there is, and it's by the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's always by the Holy Spirit. You have that desire in your heart, that desire in your heart to share the gospel is from the Holy Spirit. Know that. The timing of it, though, the opportunity, you've got to let him open that door. 
You've got to let him give that time. Now, there's never going to be a right time for Haman to hear what he's going to hear right now, okay? But there is a right time for the king to hear what he needs to hear. So it doesn't matter if everybody in the room understands that there may be one person at that time that needs to hear that message right then and to let the Holy Spirit open that door for you. I don't know how many times I heard the gospel growing up, but it wasn't until I was 19 years old that I heard the gospel from somebody. And this person that finally shared the gospel with me the final time had shared it with me four other times before, and I didn't receive it, hear it, or understand it. I don't know why that is. But I wasn't ready. The timing wasn't right. It wasn't that he was unfaithful or jumping the gun. He was doing what he needed to do. It just all came together at that one point in time. So please know that when you're out there doing what God's called us to do. There are times. So that missed opportunity, okay, maybe it just wasn't right, you know? But look for the next one. So she says, just let's, let's do this again tomorrow. I don't know what to do, which is perfect. Here's what happens. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. He's the guy that wants to kill all the Jewish people, okay? If you don't know this and you're just showing up, he wants to kill all the Jewish people because this one Mordecai, Esther's cousin, won't, st- won't bow down and worship him. Everybody in the country is supposed to worship him and bow down to him, but this one Mordecai just stands there when he walks by. I'm not bowing to you. you know? It drives him crazy. So Haman went out of that little party he just had with Esther and the king that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, it's an interesting party, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he advanced him above the officials, the servants of the kings. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet, all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So he has all of his friends and his wife come and say, my life is great. You know, I mean, I am filthy rich, and I have got power like no one's ever seen before. And I mean, I get to go places that nobody gets to go. And it's just, I mean, this is it. And then I see Mordecai, you know, and the guy won't bow down, and he won't humble himself before me, and it's driving me crazy. He's asking them, what should I do? Now, a good friend would say, you know, smack. You got it pretty good, buddy. A good friend would come out, a good wife would say, uh, you're being completely unreasonable. Whether he wants to hear that or not makes no difference. You're being unreasonable. Look at your life. Don't let him get under your skin like that. That doesn't help. Anybody been in that place before? Don't need to raise your hand. Mine's up. (laughs) Everything can be going right, and I just can't get this one person, this one thing, or that thing they said, or that thing I read, or something going on out of my mind, and it is ruining everything. Ruining it. And I've got to get this dealt with, because I cannot enjoy life until this is dealt with, and I don't know what that is. 
I don't know why that is. I like, I well, before I read this, I used to think, well, that's just because God wants me to handle this situation, get it done, you know, and it keeps on the forefront of my mind. Oh, that's not what's happening here. His pride is in the way. Speaking of pride, Tales from the Farm, Chapter 7. Yesterday was my 80th, my dad's 80th birthday. He came down from Omaha. His sister, Linda, similar in age, came down from Sioux City. All the kids were there. All the grandkids were there. And today's the day we're going to harvest some honey. Never had a problem before today. They all hop in the back of the truck. We all drive over. Truck is full of people. I park just, oh, 20, 30 yards away so they can all just observe old dad in his moon suit. You know, I'm all suited up, I thought. I had already checked the hives the day before, found some good frames that were full of honey. Wasn't going to do all of it, didn't have time, but thought that'd be fun to spin some honey in front of everybody, let them taste it and all the grand. I mean, I had this vision in my head. And so I go up to not the hive I checked, but the hive number two, which I now have nicknamed, but I can't tell you what it is in church. Smokers going, all set. Smoke the bottom. Pull the top off to smoke the top. No smoke. And out of the top comes 100,000 bees or so. And they're on me, and I can feel them. My whole body is buzzing. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but when they're on you trying to kill you, all of them, you vibrate. You just vibrate. The whole suit vibrates. And I'm just going, oh, my, it's okay, everybody, you know. This is normal. Never had that happen all the times I've checked the bees. And so I'm fine. I'm going to get this done. So I'm smoking. I'm trying to light my smoker again. I'm smoking myself. And you can hear them hitting. They hit you. They're hitting you with it, marking you. Kill this white thing. And and all of a sudden, there's one inside my mask right here. How did you get in here, you know? Ow, what was that? Through my suit. This is the heaviest suit they got. I'm a coward. I'm, this is the heaviest suit they make through the suit. I can see them. They're going like this with their rear ends, trying to go through my. How can they get through my suit? <laughs> my kids are all watching, going. And finally, I'm like, I've surrendered. And I, my hive is apart. The boxes are everywhere. The bees are all over. And I'm in the woods going, it's okay. <laughs> you know, ha, running. Very humbling moment, I might add. Now, they were all concerned for me. My kids are very loving and all that. My dad, he's 80 years old. He's in, the, he's in my wife's car going, and he makes fun of me anyway. You know, what are you doing buying a farm? You have no business buying a farm. And so, sure enough, I just confirmed everything to him that day. <laughs> and so I go back to this. I got the smoker start again. I go back. I start smoking. I'm going to get this done. And nope, they just start hitting me again. And now there's, they're coming up. What I hadn't done was I had zipped down, but not all the way down, you know, because, you know, I'm just going in real quick. Zipped partly. They're coming up my pant leg. And they're in my arms. I must have got stung probably 20 times by these bees inside my suit. So I walk humbly with everything behind us. I surrendered, walked up to the top of the hill with them because we had to get away from the swarm that was trying to kill us all. And undisrobed and got everything off, covered with sweat. Sorry, guys, this never happens. You know, 
humbling moment. Humility, it, now, the, the good part of the story is, as a Marine, that's not, it's not how the day is going to end, okay? I'm going back with a can of Raid, and they're, <laughs> they're all dead. Your family's dead. Everybody's dead. I didn't. I went back, though. I said, you guys all stay here. I'm going back. They're all like, mm, you need someone to watch to see like, if you die over there. No, I'm all right. So I went back, got my thing started, put the hive back together again. Smoker was working properly. Pulled out six frames, put them in the bin, brought them home. Like nothing had ever happened. You know, it's like it was supposed to go that day. It all went just like it was supposed to. Yeah. I, but I couldn't let the day end. Like, so that's how it ended. But very humbling. Not how I wanted it to go, you know? And that being said, Mordecai has an issue, or not Mordecai, Haman has an issue. It's his pride that's getting in the way of him enjoying his entire life because one person won't bow down. And to be honest, Haman, nobody should have to bow down to you to begin with. And a humble person would know that, but you don't know that. You enjoy that too much. So he says, yet all this avails me nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew. And I put that in there because he puts that in there. Not Mordecai the citizen, not Mordecai the Jew. That's why he wants him, not just Mordecai dead, but all of them dead. He's, he's a Jew. Eight Jews. Verse 14, then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made. Here's their, here's their solution to him. 50 cubits high, 75 feet. And in the morning, suggested the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. That night, they're making these big gallows for, for Mordecai to hang on. So here's their solution. Why don't you just kill him, and then you can go to the party in, in peace, which is weird for us, but that's, those are the shallow friends and the shallow wife that he has. That's their first advice. That night, well, I got some cross-references for here. As he's building these gallows, this is going to be very ironic, obviously. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. That's a warning to all of us that want to take vengeance or plan a trap for somebody. And as a believer, I don't need to worry about those traps or plans because I walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, I walk in the, in the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, and he will lead and guide me into all truth and around all these things. And the people that are laying out snares, will they find themselves caught? Proverbs 28.10 doubles down on this. Whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 20. If it is possible, Paul says, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you keep coals of fire in his head. Let God do this for you. Leave room for him. I like that. It's as if if I get in the way and want to avenge, avenge myself, God says, well, then I can't. And my vengeance is so much better than your vengeance, is the idea. And it's going to be with this Haman guy. Now, with that Romans scripture, I couldn't leave that hanging today because the idea of if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you heap coals of fire in his head. You look at how Mordecai is treating Haman, and you're like, well, he's not doing that. 
He's not giving Haman food. He's not giving him something to drink. He's not taking care of him. He's not even bowing down to him, which Scripture says, right? We're supposed to obey those that rule over us. Well, okay. I hope this brings clarification for us because that's a question I get more often now, especially last year and this year. Do we obey men or do we obey the government? Do we obey these things? And this is the Scripture they give me. It says we're supposed to. Let me read it to you. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedience, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So that was Paul's advice to young Pastor Titus here. Um, I want you to do that. Okay. So is Mordecai doing that for Haman? He's not, right? So is it Mordecai that doesn't understand? I know this is New Testament, and maybe he didn't know that, but God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Did Mordecai just not know to do that for Haman? Well, okay, here's, here's the thing. He is doing that for the king. He's not doing it for Haman. The king is in charge. There was a plot of assassination against him. Mordecai, who has no obligation to help this Babylonian or Persian or whoever he is now, king to survive an assassination attempt. In fact, if I was a captive in this land, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Get him. Take me captive, you know, take my people captive. But he doesn't. He makes the plot known. He serves this king. He does exactly what Titus chapter 3 says to do. Hey, there's a plot against you. These two eunuchs are going to take you out, just so you know. And Esther tells him, and they find the two eunuchs, and they take care of it, which is going to come into play. So this, I believe, this story is our answer for that truth. And that's, if you don't hear anything today, hear this. When you have a New Testament truth, there is always an Old Testament picture to explain it. Always. I don't understand what he means in Titus. I don't understand what he means in Philippians. Go to the Old Testament. There will be a story that explains it for you. And this is that. Do you obey the authorities? Of course you do. He took care of that king. He did. But for some reason, he saw fit to say no to this Haman. I will not bow down to you. There's a, that's the line. I'm not doing that. That's against God. I'm not, the king, God placed him in authority. He's a pagan king. He doesn't know anything about my God, but I will submit. I will make sure he's taken care of, right? But not to this Haman. Not going to do it. So when we went into those questions, that isn't a standard answer that you can just give for everything. The government says, kill your mother. Well, you got to, Titus says, I got to obey my, my, my leaders. I'm not killing my mom. You know, well, that's pretty extreme. Okay. But then you can't use this Titus 3 as a standard answer for everything the government tells you to do. Okay. You need to find where that is and be led by the spirit. Okay. Just like Mordecai has done here. The king, yes, no assassination. Haman, no, we're not bowing down to you. It's not going to happen. There's a balance there, and he finds it. Chapter 6, plenty of time. That night, the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, this record of the Chronicles is everything, like a stenographer inside the, inside the palace um, would write down everything that everybody said all the time. So there he is. I mean, they didn't have that, but you know what I mean. 
I don't know what it looked like back then. But they would write out everything that took place. I, I know they had pen and ink, and I'm kidding. Um, it's funnier, though, to see the Flintstone kind of chips flying everywhere. Um, so this is what he's being read. What happened? If you're going to fall asleep, why don't you tell me what happened on Monday in the court? You know, you know, boring. So he gets this interesting insomnia, interesting timing for this insomnia. I, I and I know you do too, and probably you could raise your hand. Um, that is becoming more and more common with people, this insomnia. I just can't sleep. I am exhausted. But when I lay down, I cannot shut my mind off. I cannot relax. And we have our solutions for those things, chemically and otherwise. There are maybe moments for that. I'm not saying that. Not where I'm going with this. There are times, though, when there are God-ordained moments of insomnia. When you need to get up and you need to spend time with the Lord quietly, when the whole house is asleep but you, and although you want to desperately need it, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And I can tell you from experience that at a time in prayer and worship in the middle of the night when I can't sleep, I often wake up more refreshed than if I had actually gotten the eight or nine or whatever, seven, six, five hours of sleep you wished you'd had. Take those moments when you just can't sleep and everybody seems to be able to, and you know what? Open the word. Spend some time in prayer. Sing some songs to the Lord quietly with your terrible voice that you don't want to share with anybody, you know, but it's between you and your dad in heaven. Sing to him. Let him speak to you. Let him bring peace. Let him work out all the things that are going on in your mind. We've talked about that before. Sometimes we try to just end the day and get right into bed and just fall asleep without working everything out that you need to work out. So much happened that day, and you haven't untangled it yet. You know those weird dreams you have where you saw a snake on the road, and you met your third-grade teacher in the grocery store, and all of a sudden you're having a dream about your snake wrapped around your third-grade teacher? You know That's your brain trying to unravel everything that took place that day. I'd encourage you to take that time before you fall asleep even, before you try to fall asleep, to go ahead and pray through the whole day that you just had. Think about all the things that happened. The things God said to you, didn't say to you, opportunities you had, opportunities you missed, and work it out and go to sleep with that peace. This is a God-ordained insomnia moment for this king, and he says, I want you to read to me just, I don't know, a random passage from what happened in the king's court. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So I get this weird time, I can't sleep. I want you to read some random passage. God just, the guy just happens to open up the passage to that one time when Mordecai told everybody about the assassination attempt. Oh, that's right. We never did anything for Mordecai, did we? We should have done something for Mordecai. He's a Jewish guy, isn't he? See, why can't the king sleep? Maybe it's just God-ordained. I, I do this. I try to figure things out. I, it would be simple to just say that God wouldn't let him sleep, and so therefore he must read from the Chronicles. Or it's hard to be the king. It's hard to every day look at everybody in the room and wonder, I wonder... I wonder who wants to kill me in this room. 
I wonder who's for me and who's against me. I wonder who's just saying yes because they know I'm, that's what I want to hear. And how many are really my friend? You know, I wonder. And maybe he's laying in bed thinking of that. And he reads about this one time for some encouragement. Maybe the scribe knew this. Maybe he requested it. Didn't some guys want to kill me a while back? Oh, I'm so tired of this. Why does everybody want to assassinate me? Read me that story back. There was a guy that told me about this. What was his name? Mordecai. Mordecai. It's nice to know someone I can trust. What's been done for this Mordecai, you know? Well, nothing's been done for him. Okay. Now I can sleep because I've got a friend. I've got someone I can trust. I got someone who's for me, and he's a Jew, and he has, I took him captive, or he was captive when I came into office, and, and I know that he shouldn't like me. There's a lot of things going on here. There's favor being given to this Mordecai. There's favor for Esther. Things are happening. God is making everything kind of gel. There's a, there's a trust that's being built between this king and these Jewish people. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him, 75 foot high outside. The king's servants said to him, Haman is there standing in the courtyard. And the king said, let him come in. Well, that's a coincidence. Haman just happened to be walking through. How am I going to say this? I just need this Mordecai dead. I built gallows already. You just have to sign off on it, and we're going to hang him. Is that okay? I mean, I know we're going to kill all the Jews, including him, in a few weeks from now. But I don't want to wait for this guy. This guy needs to die today. Before I go to this party, I just got to get this off my mind. I mean, he's running through this whole scenario in his mind. Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, hmm, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, well, I don't know, king. For the man whom the king delights to honor, uh, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse which the king has ridden with, uh, with a royal crest placed on his head. Then let the robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of a king's most noble prince, and that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. Yeah, that's what, that's, that'd be great if you did that. The king's like, that's a great idea. Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone all that you have spoken. Can you hear his jaw hit the floor? You know, who? Mordecai. I want you to array him in the row. I want you to put him on the horse. I want you to parade him and say, he's the greatest guy that ever lived. I want you to do that. God's justice is so perfect. The, the, the wrath that, that everybody could have done on their own is nothing compared to how God just is going to work this perfect, perfect solution out. And we haven't even hit the gallows yet that have been built that will be used. Spoiler alert. I want you to do that. Now, I took note that he wrote down that the, the king says, once you do this for Mordecai the Jew, king hasn't ever said that before. It's the first time he says that. Which should echo in Haman's ears because that's what he told his friends and his wife. It's Mordecai the Jew 
Oh, the Jewish people. And now the king says, I want you to do this for Mordecai, the Jew, the Jewish people. God is preparing the king because he doesn't know. He's building a trust with the Jewish people. The, the laws that they don't follow, that, that are contrary to the worldly laws that I have, but that, that didn't show up in Mordecai before. Mordecai actually told me about the assassination attempt. So it's not, it's not clicking. What you're saying, Haman, about these Jewish people is, but the action I'm seeing is not consistent with what you're telling me. And as Christians, that has to be the case with us. We are a peculiar people. We will obey God over man. We will always do what God wants us to do. And for the world, that's a scary thing. Who wants complete control, wants everybody to do just what they're supposed to do? Because as a humanist, we've got this plan. And if all the humans aren't on the humanist playlist, then the humanist plan won't come about. So we're really worried about those that aren't humanists. So you Christians are a threat to us. But every time I say that, you guys are the ones that stop and give me a ride when my tire's flat. And you guys are the ones that uh, help me out in times of need. And you're the ones that I talk to and have so much peace and joy. I don't, it doesn't click, you know, it's normal. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. What a miserable day. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all of his friends everything that had happened to him, listen to these guys. His wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you'll not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Well, where was that advice yesterday? These guys. Oh, he's Jewish. Oh, I forgot about the Red Sea. And we've heard about these people. Entire Egyptian army. You didn't know about the entire Egyptian army? No, I didn't know about the entire Egyptian army. Why didn't somebody tell me about the entire Egyptian army? Yeah, you come against a Jewish person, you come against their God, you're in such trouble. Ugh. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came, new eunuchs, and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. And that's where we leave off today. Next week is so good. It's so good. That's so great. We will try to finish it up next week. We'll try to, uh, that's 10, it's four, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten. Maybe we won't. We'll, we'll do our best. So good. God is so good. And I don't say that like a platitude, like every Christian says, isn't God good? Well, of course he is. No, I mean, he's this good. And he's this kind of good in your life and in my life too. Please know that. I've got some enemies that I just think, I mean, we've all got Hamans maybe in our lives. Give room. Give room for God to do it. You do what you need to do humbly before your God as his servant. He will make sure that his servants get what they need to get done, done. And he'll make sure that anybody that stands in his servant's way, they will be removed. Always, always, always. Now, there comes a time, I don't mean to be a downer in the last four minutes of the message, but there comes a time when he is done with you as a servant. And you may succumb to a Haman. That may happen. It happened to all the apostles. I don't want to have a rose-colored glasses on here. 
But until that day comes, until God is done with you as a servant of his, no weapon that's formed against you shall stand. Nothing can come between you and what God has called you to do. He will not only call you, he will equip you, he will make your path straight, he will protect you, he'll be your guard. Until it's time to bring you home to be with him forever and your mission is accomplished and you get to retire, okay? But until that day comes, you can trust the Lord completely with your life. Serve him and he's going to take care of everybody. Everybody in your way, everybody in the path. It's just a, it's a wonderful encouragement. We don't have to be panicking all the time. We can walk knowing that these stories are written for our admonition to encourage us in our walk with the Lord every day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your attention to detail. We thank you for your love for Mordecai and for Esther, for your people who aren't exactly being completely obedient to you. Some have gone back to the, to the land and most are staying back where they were taken captive. And yet you're still moving, even though they're not praying and they're not necessarily seeking you, you are moving and watching them and, and protecting them. And Lord, we thank you for that encouragement that you're doing the same for us. Now help us to be your servants. Help us to be about your business, to be faithful, to know that we're called for such a time as this, to stand up for righteousness, to go into those court places that we're not supposed to necessarily be, but you'll find favor. You'll give us favor. And if that's what you've called us to do, you'll always make a way for us to get there. And we can trust you in that. Thank you for this story. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the uh, Sunday here.